Volume One, Chapter Two of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith, Volume One, Chapter Two. Though Mrs. Willoughby took infinite pains to appear cheerful and to hide the progress of the illness which was undermining her constitution, her efforts to appear better than she was could not deceive her physicians, who now proposed that she should go either to Lisbon or the south of France. This prescription, however, she endeavoured to evade by assuring them that travelling so late in the year would infallibly injure rather than be useful to her but she promised to follow their advice early in the ensuing spring and to pass the winter at bath thither she repaired in november with her daughter and celestina to remain some months willoughby declined joining them at the end of term contrary to his usual custom he informed his mother by letter that he had made a party with some of his friends to pass the Christmas vacation at Elvenstone, and that on their way back to Cambridge they would stay two or three days at Bath. Matilda, in the meantime, who frequented every public amusement, was become a Bath beauty, followed and admired by that description of men whose opinion is considered as decisive in the world of fashion miss willoughby was always most elegantly dressed for to be so was the principal study of her life she was always with people of rank was of an honourable family had a good fortune great connections a pretty person and was to use the common phrase extremely accomplished that is she knew something of everything and talked as if she knew a great deal more among the men of ton who contributed to feed her vanity and raise her fashion was mr molyneux the only son of an irish baronet of whom the bounty of a grandfather had made him independent with a handsome figure a good fortune and a title in reversion mr molyneux was everywhere courted and admired and by lounging about from one public place to another during the summer and passing his winters whether in england or ireland in the very first world he had acquired so high a polish that his manners and his dress his expressions and even his air were copied by all the rising bows his understanding was just of that level which rendered him capable of being pleased with this species of fame and having no great warmth of heart he had no other motive of choice in marrying than that which arose from his solicitude to maintain his importance as a man of taste in the fashionable world he had indeed no great inclination to marry at all but his father now far advanced in life pressed him so earnestly to take a wife and he was so besieged by the kind entreaties of two maiden aunts who had a great deal to give him 
that tired by their importunity and willing enough to oblige them in a matter which was indifferent to himself he had at length in the thirty-fifth year of his age fixed on miss willoughby as a pretty woman well born and above all very much the rage proposals from such a man were of course accepted by the mother and the daughter willoughby was pleased to hear his sister was likely to be so well established and in a few weeks it was settled that the wedding was to take place in february when mrs willoughby and her family proposed returning to london when willoughby came with his cambridge friends to bath to fulfil the promise given to his mother he was introduced to his future brother-in-law but a very short observation convinced him that they were not designed for friends and that however closely they might be allied mr molinux would still be to him a mere acquaintance willoughby was eager in the pursuit of knowledge his mind already highly cultivated his heart warm and open and his manners with all the ingenious simplicity of youth had the natural good breeding which only good understanding can give whatever was the real character of molyneux it was no longer distinguishable under the polish of fashion to obtain which alone seemed to be his study all his ideas of good and evil of right or wrong centred there if books had been the object in the circle where he moved he would have qualified himself to talk upon them but as they were not his reading never extended beyond a short novel a pamphlet or a newspaper to strike out something new in a cape or carriage something which the great would imitate and the little wonder at was half the purpose of his life to have any affections was reckoned extremely vulgar and as he really had as few as well possible it cost him but a little trouble to divest himself of them entirely and to obtain that sang freud which is the true criterion of a man of fashion it is absolutely necessary to be in the house of commons a seat therefore he had for a cornish borough which he gave a silent vote to the minister for the time being and neither cared nor inquired whether it would benefit or injure his country about which he was perfectly indifferent yet with a mind occupied almost entirely by trifles his handsome figure and his affluent fortune and fashionable manners gave him that consequence which is often denied to virtues and talents his air was that of a man of rank and the calm coldness of his manner gave an idea of latent powers which he was supposed to be too indolent to exert matilda in many respects seemed to be his very counterpart since they had been so much together she had adopted his thoughts and caught his phrases and her brother though he did not think her by any means improved by the imitation allowed that if similarity of character gives happiness in a marriage his sister had a prospect of being completely happy 
but when he looked at celestina which he avoided doing as much as possible he saw in her improvements so different from those of matilda that all his resolutions to wean his mind from dwelling on her perfections faded before her she was now in her seventeenth year with a face and form which instantly attracted the eye even before the beauties of her understanding had time to display themselves these latter she never obtruded on observation but was as silent in company as matilda was talkative and gay the loveliness of her form therefore it was that immediately struck the young companions of willoughby who both the instant they quitted the room where they had been introduced to mrs willoughby her daughter and celestina asked of willoughby farther particulars of his adopted sister declaring they had never seen so charming a girl and expressing their wonder at the calmness with which she had frequently spoken of her this conversation was so uneasy to him that he could with difficulty conceal his vexation as and as his college friends from time to time renewed it that circumstance added to the pain he felt in forcing himself to behave to celestina with cold and distant civility shortened his visit to three days at the end of which time he took leave of his mother who again mentioned to him her views in regard to miss fitzhyman to which willoughby who was less than ever inclined to listen to her on that point returned vague but gentle answers escaping from it as well as he could without giving anything like a promise he hastened back to his books among which he hoped to lose the idea of celestina which he could not cherish but at the hazard of rendering either his mother or himself unhappy he promised to attend in london his sister's wedding which was now to take place in a month and for what preparations were making but about a week before the day fixed for mrs willoughby's departure for london an inflammation on her already injured lungs seized her so suddenly that there was only time to send an express to cambridge for her son who notwithstanding his utmost expedition arrived hardly an hour before his excellent parent expired as she had before taken leave of her daughter and celestina the greater part of that melancholy hour was given to her son ever the object of her tenderest afflictions what passed was known only to willoughby who the moment his mother was no more gave way to such an excess of sorrow as deprived him for some hours of his senses and when they were restored the sight of matilda's calmness who did not seem to him to feel half the concern she ought to do and the perfect composure of molyneux who evidently felt nothing seemed to him so insupportable that he shut himself up in his own lodgings and refused every offer of consolation though celestina had long apprehended that the life of her beloved benefactress was in a much more precarious situation than she could herself allow 
or that matilda was willing to see yet this cruel and yet unexpected blow quite overwhelmed her but willoughby as unable to bear the sight of her grief as displeased at stolical composure of his sister fled with equal solitude from both of them and having given directions for removing the remains of his mother to the family seat at alvanstone he hastened thither himself to receive and pay them the last offices which being done he wrote to his sister recommending it to her to return to london with celestina and to send for an elderly maiden relation to remain with them till her marriage which the death of her mother had of necessity postponed he promised to see her in town in the course of a fortnight there to execute as far as he could those parts of his mother's will which demanded immediate attention in pursuance of those directions the young ladies set out for london mr molyneux followed them in his own carriage the fight of the house which had now lost its mistress threw celestina into all those agonies which the recollection of past happiness and past kindness from a lamented friend gives to a heart so tender and so sensible as hers while matilda who shed a tear or two from feeling something of the same sensation presently recovered herself and received her lover who waited upon her immediately after his arrival without betraying any symptoms of emotion which could give him cause to apprehend that the repose of his future life might suffer any interruption from the too exquisite sensibility of his wife at the time he had appointed willoughby rejoined them though he now saw them with less emotion his melancholy seemed to be deeper than at first with his sister he avoided all conversation that was not absolutely necessary with celestina he was even more reserved and never as in their happier days brought his books and sat with her or sought her conversation as his greatest pleasure he contrived indeed under pretence of having affairs to settle abroad to see her only at dinner or supper and frequently under pretence of illness absented himself from both after having been with them a few days during which this reserved and altered behaviour almost broke the heart of celestina who seemed to have lost by the death of the mother the friendship of the son he sent up one of the female servants to her room when she retired thither after breakfast to beg to speak to her in his sister's dressing-room this formal message so unlike the brotherly familiarity with which he used to treat her cut her to the heart but she immediately attended the summons willoughby bowed on her entrance they both sat down celestina trying to check the tears she found rising to her eyes and the sighs which swelled her bosom his looks so pale so changed from what they were his attitude his silence all contributed to distress her 
while he seemed collecting fortitude to go through the task he was to execute after a short pause he took from his pocket-book a paper opened it and counted out three banknotes of six hundred pounds each on the table then advancing towards her with them in his hand he presented them to her saying in a voice which he did not intend should falter there madame is the sum which mrs willoughby which my mother by her will bequeathed to you and which as her executor i most willingly pay you allow me to wish you every happiness and he would have gone on but celestina who had arisen on his approaching her turned pale and sat down you are not well said he the recollection of my mother does indeed overcome me answered celestina i have lost a mother and a brother too yes i have lost all pardon me miss de moray replied willoughby i mean not to distress you and miss de moray repeated celestina again interrupting him miss de moray and madame ah mr willoughby those appellations of distant civility convince me that i have no longer a friend a brother nay but my dear madame be not i beseech you guilty of so much injustice let me execute the directions given me by my dear deceased mother whose orders you know were that within two months of her decease these should be put in your possession he then again offered the notes to her celestina put forth her trembling hand but instantly withdrew it i cannot take the notes indeed mr willoughby said she what can i do with them i who am a minor a stranger an orphan who have no relation no guardian no friend i did indeed hope continued she her eyes filling with tears from the recollection of her forlorn situation i did indeed hope that you sir would have had the goodness to keep it for me till she stopped from inability to proceed till when my dear miss de moray cried willoughby with eagerness he seemed endeavouring to check certainly i would if it had been in my power but it was my solemn promise to my mother to pay it into your hands or into those of any person whom you should appoint cannot i name you as being that person pardon me dear celestina answered willoughby speaking hastily as if fearful of relapsing into the fondness he once felt and desirous of quitting a painful subject pardon me it is not possible for me to be of that service to you which most assuredly i should rejoice to be if dear celestina replied she ah willoughby i have seen for many many months that i am no longer your once dear celestina call me madame and miss dormoray as you did just now rather than flatter me with the sound when the sincerity of your regard is gone well sir since for reasons which perhaps i ought not to penetrate 
it is no longer in your power to act by me as a brother and a friend i will no farther intrude on your kindness than to beg you will tell me how i ought to place the provision thus made for me by my benefactress willoughby half stifled a deep sigh and after a moment's pause said i would advise you to place it immediately on government security in the names of two persons on whom you can rely till you become of age dawson who was you know always employed by my mother is more conversant than i am in these matters if you will give me leave i will send him to you and i am convinced that you may safely trust to, to his honour and probity he then again offered the notes he had in his hand celestina took them in silence being in truth unable to speak and turning hastily away he reached the door where he stopped as if irresolute then in a low and faltering voice he said as i shall probably see you no more unless in mixed company before i return to cambridge i cannot take this my last leave without assuring you that however circumstances may alas must prevent my shrewing it my heart can never be indifferent to the welfare to the happiness of my sister celestina there was no time for the trembling auditor to answer this address to reflect on the peculiar way in which the whole was delivered nor on the strong emphasis laid on the words may and must for he was in a moment at the bottom of the stairs and celestina who remained in breathless agitation with the door of the apartment still open heard him a moment afterwards call to his servant for his hat and the door of the house presently shut after him she then sat down and burst into tears for which she was on a later reflection ashamed to assign a reason even to herself for what do i weep said she or why am i disappointed what did i expect that willoughby was attached to me surely no for he never gave me any reason to imagine it and of late has sedulously avoided me as if he supposed me weak and vain enough to misinterpret the friendship and regard he used to show me let me while he does not say convince him that he may without prejudice to his views in regard to miss fitzhaman still treat me and consider me his sister and that i never thought of being looked upon otherwise which surely he must have fancied or he would not behave to me as he does another flood of tears relieved the swelling heart of celestina after this soliloquy she then dried her eyes dressed and acquired so much command over herself as to meet willoughby at dinner without betraying any symptoms of the uneasiness and mortification she still suffered and when the next day he took leave of her and matilda she bade him adieu with the same apparent calmness three months passed and the time fixed for matilda's marriage arrived 
Willoughby then wrote to desire his sister would excuse his devoting only a single day to her on that occasion. He would attend, he said, to give her away, but was obliged by indispensable business to return immediately afterwards to Cambridge. Matilda remarked how strange it was that her brother, who had now been some time of age, so bigoted to his books that he could not leave them for longer than a day even on such an occasion but his pleasures and hers differed so greatly and their tempers and pursuits were so opposite that no sympathy had for some years existed between them though on the part of willoughby there was always great affection for her and on hers as much regard for her brother as it was her nature to feel for anybody this difference of sentiment and inclination however had insensibly so far estranged them from each other that the company of willoughby was oftener a restraint than a pleasure to his sister and therefore as she felt little regret in losing it she thought not much about his motives for depriving her of it the evening before that on which Matilda was by special license to be married to Mr. Molyneux, her brother arrived, but instead of the gaiety the occasion required, or even that which had formerly been unusual with him, his melancholy and regret seemed to have been habitual by indulgence. He hardly spoke and when he did it was with such languor that matilda might with reason have been alarmed for his health if she had been capable of attending seriously to anything but herself celestina to whom he behaved with more distant reserve than ever could not be insensible or silent about a health and life which ought she thought to be so precious to his sister and his friends and therefore she spoke to matilda when they retired after supper of the change so evident in her brother matilda answered coldly that she was owing to nothing but his burying himself as he did among his books and losing all relish for other company i wish added she that these Fitzhymans were come over, that he might live in the world again, and be like other people, which he must be when he is married. Celestina could not heartily join in this wish, and even doubted whether Willoughby ever would be quite like those who were called other people by his sister. She dropped the conversation, however, and retired to her pillow with more solicitude for happiness of matilda which was to be determined the next day that matilda was capable of feeling for herself the image of willoughby such as he was a few years before was strongly painted by her imagination she ran over all their former early pleasures their walks their reading their gardening together at alvastone while yet children then Willoughby, such as he now was, so amiable yet so changed, obtruded himself on her mind, 
and being unable to look forward with any degree of pleasure she felt with redoubled sorrow that those days of innocent confidence and ingenious tenderness could never never return end of volume one chapter two recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c